Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hashak, it expresses a joining to. It's kind of like, it's a 100% word. It's like a 100% join to a certain person. It's like a clinging word. It's not the same word as the man clinging to his wife, but it expresses like this 100% clinging to a certain person. It just just, expresses like, I get from this person 100% of my soul inspiration from this person, you know. know, It expresses this like, you know, I just need this person to be 100% available to me. You know, and, and that was Hamar, what he's saying about his son when he used this word hashak. And, and so what Hamar is really saying about his son when he uses this word hashak, he's describing the relationship between you know, Shechem and Dinah here. And it's really, he's describing a problem. It's kind of going over the top here. It's a common problem in relationships today. Because people were created to have a hashak relationship with God. But, but, and, but people ignore God today. And they say, okay, this other person, this other human being is going to satisfy me, you know. The, and you can see this in the lyrics of songs, you know, like the hashak is an expression of finding 100% life and hope in another person. So, you know, so you have a song, you know, that with lyrics like, you're my soul and my heart's inspiration. You're all I got to get me by. You're my soul and my heart's inspiration. You know, without you, what good am I? And how can that be wrong when it's sung by somebody called the Righteous Brothers, you know? (laughs) So, you know, God is the only one who can satisfy the place of a person's soul and heart inspiration. Not another human being. And, and the 100% availability, you know, you just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. You know, winter, spring, summer, and fall, all you got to do is call, I'll be there, you've got a friend. And so only the Lord Jesus Christ lives up to that claim of Proverbs 18:24 there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother that's only the Lord Jesus Christ but today when a person looks at another human and says hashak like Hamor said about his son Shechem in, in verse 8 my son hashak for your daughter it's a formula for disaster and then Hamor comes right to the point in verse 8 when he says i pray you give her him to wife and he goes on in verses 9 and 10 and elaborates the proposal now if you were Jacob and the sons, what do you want to hear from Hamar, but you're not getting it? You're not hearing it out of what Hamar said. What is it? There's no apology. There's no apology. You know, when Hamar speaks, there's no, I'm sorry for what my son did to your daughter. None of that. When Shechem speaks, there's no, I'm sorry what I did to your daughter. 
You know, the only substance of what Hamar is saying here is in verse eight. You know, I pray you give her him to wife. The only substance of what Shechem is saying here is in verse 12, give me the damsel to wife. That's it. That's it. That's all they came to really say. They didn't come to say they're sorry. You know, I gotta, I'm sorry over what happened in the past. There's just this desire for what they want in the future. And for the family, that's a non-starter. That's just a non-starter. And in the same way, when a person comes to God without sorrow over the past, that's a non-starter. That's a non-starter with God. If a person doesn't really take to heart that they are a sinner and they have really offended God and they know that and they're really sorry to God, it's a non-starter with God. It doesn't go anywhere. Just as it was a non-starter for Hamer and Shechem with Jacob and his family here. There was no, I'm sorry. And there was no, there was no repentance, right? Now, sorrow is not the same as repentance. It's not. See, the Lord Jesus Christ did not say, unless you are sorry for your sin, you will perish. What he said was in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So now, right now, this raises the question, okay, well, what's the difference? What exactly is repentance and how is it different from being sorry? The Greek word for repentance is metaneo. Metaneo is made up of two words. Meta is change, like metamorphosis, change. And neo is mind. So the word really means a change in mind. Sorrow is not repentance, but there can be no repentance without sorrow. Sorrow is necessary for repentance. Sorrow comes before repentance, but sorrow is not repentance. Sorrow is the road to repentance, which can be seen in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, this difference, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, where it says, now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorrow after a godly manner that you might receive the damage by us and nothing. See, the Corinthians sorrowed to repentance. They went from sorrow to repentance. In other words, their sorrow led to repentance. The kind of sorrow that leads to repentance is described in 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So now in this verse, we have two kinds of sorrows. We have the first sorrow that's called godly sorrow, and it leads to repentance, which leads to life, new life. But there's another sorrow, which is called the sorrow of the world, and that leads to death. That leads us to a question of what is this godly sorrow that leads to repentance versus the sorrow of the world? We can see the sorrow of the world in Cain. Cain had just murdered his brother, and God told him what the consequences were in Genesis 4.10. He said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thine hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth." That's what Cain fixated on, those last parts. When you till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield her fruit. 
unto her strength, and you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond. He had just heard, because he just murdered his brother, that he was cursed, and he's not going to have a good harvest, and he's going to be chased around like a fugitive and a vagabond. And he was very sorry about that. He was very sorry about the consequences. And so he comes right back to God in Genesis 4.13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, or from the face shall I be hid. I shall be a vagabond, a fugitive vagabond in the earth. It shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. So there's no talk about I shouldn't have killed my brother. There's no talk about, you know, that was really, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it again. He had no change of mind. He had no metaneo. He had no repentance about what he did. All he was sorry about were the consequences. He never said he was sorry for what he did. He never said, you know, if I had another chance, I would love Abel and not kill him. All Cain cared about was what he was going to have to endure in the future. I mean, God was waiting for Cain to change your mind about what you did. And God didn't see that change in Cain. So the most tragic words about Cain was not that he murdered Abel. The most tragic words about Cain are in verse 16 of Genesis 4, 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the tragedy. The greatest tragedy in a person's life is not the sins that they committed, but that they follow Cain and going away from God and saying, I'm finished with all this religion. You know, I'm finished with all church stuff. I want nothing to do with God. That's what's meant in Genesis 4.16 when it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the greatest tragedy in a person's life. That when they don't run to God for mercy and for salvation for their sins, but they run away from God. And now another person in the Bible who shows sorrow of the world was Esau. And Esau, where it says about him in Hebrews 12.16, Hebrews 12.16 says, lest there be any fornicator We're describing Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, so now the focus is on the inherited blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance. Though he sought it carefully with tears. There were tears. There were sorrow there. He lost his inheritance because he was a profane person, but he had no interest in God. And Esau was sorry to the point of tears over losing this great wealth, this great inheritance, but he didn't repent over his life of no interest in God. Just over the fact that he lost the inheritance, that was all he was sorry for. That's the sorrow of the world. The Bible describes God as leading a person to repentance in Romans 2.4 when it says, that talks about the riches of his goodness, not knowing the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. God in his goodness leads a person to repentance. How does he do that? How does God lead a person to repentance? The Lord Jesus Christ described this leading in Matthew 9, 13, when he said, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. See, the Lord Jesus Christ said his ministry was calling sinners to repentance. Repentance is the response of a call. The Lord Jesus Christ said that everyone is a sinner. No one's good. He said that in Matthew 10, 18. Matthew 10, 18. There's none good but one. That's God. 
If a person sees himself as good and righteous, then the Lord Jesus says, I can't help you. He can't help that person because the first step to help is to see yourself as a sinner. If a person says, I never told a lie in my life, then the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, congratulations, I can't help you. Because in Luke 15, 7, in Luke 15, 7, he said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. See, what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying was that the 99% majority of the people have successfully deceived themselves into seeing themselves as just, and therefore they don't need repentance. Whereas the 1% minority, 1%, one out of 100, percent minority of the people see themselves as they really are, sinful, in need of repentance. That's the person who's saved. That's why when the rabbis say to me, oh, well, look, you know, virtually all the Jewish people do not believe in Jesus, I think to myself, it's better to be with the 1% minority <laughs> who see themselves as sinners in need of repentance rather to be with the 90-90% majority who see themselves as just and righteous and don't need repentance. See, a person is not convinced that they need the Lord Jesus Christ by seeing all these fulfilled prophecies. A person is convinced that they need the Lord Jesus Christ when they see themselves as a sinner and not a just person. That's why in the Philippines, when I addressed the First Baptist Church at Iloilo and, and, there, and, and gave them my testimony, and then afterward in the evening, I went over to um, Pastor Sun's uh, house. They had a little kid there named TJ, and he was being bad. <laughs> and so his mother came to him and said, TJ, don't be like that or you're going to be like Mr. Cantor was. <laughs> and I was glad when I heard that. I thought, okay, I got my message across. I was a sinner. So, but the Lord Jesus Christ uses a word, very important word in Mark 2.17 when he says, and Jesus heard it. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, and that's the word, they that are sick, I came to call the righteous sinners to repentance. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That means before a person comes to repentance, he's got to see himself as sick, severely sick in his soul, with a severe sickness of the soul. And then God leads a person to repentance. God's will is for everyone to come to repentance, come to repentance. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. He's patient, just word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He uses the word come. Sorrow is the first step. Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't stop there. God say, don't stop with sorrow. Come to repentance. Once a soul has recognized that he's sick, and in need of a cure, then there is a commitment where the person says, I've got to deny the desires of my soul that led me to sin, which the Lord Jesus Christ expressed in Matthew 16, 24, Matthew 16, 24, when he said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul looks at himself, he sees all this part that led him into sin, he says, I hate it. I hate that part of myself. I hate the part that loves sin, he says in Romans 7, 21. Romans 7, 21. He says, I find a law 
When I do good, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God in the, after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. It's in me. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of this death? Repentance is to hate that part of us called the flesh that finds pleasure in sin. It says, I find it rather enjoyable. I like it. Repentance or metaneo is a change of mind. It's a recognition that the natural way we think and the way we feel, that's not God's way of thinking and God's way of feeling. What you said in Isaiah 55, 8, Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So what this verse really describes here is a conflict. There's a conflict in thinking ways, thinking and ways. God says, look, your natural thoughts and your ways, they're not mine. They're not my thoughts and ways. So the question is, who's going to win? Whose thoughts and ways is it going to be with you? Are we going to change our thoughts and ways to get on God's page? That's repentance. Or are we going to expect God to change his thoughts and ways to get on our page? Or we're not going to care. See, God's thoughts and ways lead to life. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. But by contrast, our natural thoughts and our ways lead to death, as described in Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12, there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So in order for us to get this change of mind, you know, to think God's thoughts and to adopt God's ways, or let's just say adopt, 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 God's ways and thoughts, we have to experience a transformation of our mind, which is what the Bible calls a renewal of the mind in, in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1, you know, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, or as Philip puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So during World War II, I think I may have told you this, when the British troops were being shipped out to fight the Germans, the Nazis, they were one of the ports where they were shipped out of on the west side of Cardiff, Wales. And Stephen Olford was an army chaplain, and he would meet with the troops. That was part of his job, meet with the troops before they were shipped out. In one of his meetings, he was teaching the men about repentance, and he asked the soldiers, what do you think repentance means? And one soldier said, I could illustrate it, sir. And he said, okay. So he gets up, the soldier got up out of his seat, came up to the platform and said, and he starts marching across the platform. He says, I'm marching, I'm marching along. And all of a sudden I hear God say, soldier, halt. <laughs> and I halt. And then I hear God say, soldier, about face. And I turn about face. And then I hear God say, soldier, march. And I march. And then he says, that's what repentance is, sir. And he sat down. <laughs> pretty good. You know, that's exactly where repentance is. It's a hearing God's call, stop, turn around, follow God. So repentance is looked at as a party spoiler today. You know, it leads to miserable life, you know, miserable life. But just the opposite is true. Repentance leads to real life, as it says in Acts eleven eighteen. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they held their peace, glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. 
And it says in Acts 11, 18, to the Gentiles granted repentance to life. So there's two turnings that are involved with repentance. There's a turning from sin to God. It's always a both. Always the both are together. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, and you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And this is what Paul told the Athenians in Acts. He said, Acts 14, 15, he said, Sirs, why do you these things? We are also men of like passions like you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things therein. When Paul, King Agrippa, and Paul was on trial, and King Agrippa was expecting Paul to explain what he did. He did in Acts 26, 17. And he said, God said he was going to deliver me from the people, from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. And then he says that he was called to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that's in me. So the Lord Jesus expresses this direction. It's a direction of repentance. He said, the time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand in Mark 1.15. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So for a person to really repent and believe, then he's got to believe that God is good that God will receive him, that God will heal him, that God will, will, will give him life. And when Israel as a people finally comes to the place of returning to Jehovah Jesus in Hosea 6.1, their conversation is recorded for us in Hosea 6.1, where they say, come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now, repentance, as sorrow, repentance, this is all missing in Hamor and Shechem when they come to Jacob. So Hamor comes to Jacob, his sons come, they've got this offer in verse 10 that, uh, you know, we're going to dwell with us, the land's in front of you, you're going to trade, you get possessions. See, their offer is, get you possessions therein. Their offer is, get rich. Get rich offers should raise a red flag for us. That's what Satan offered the Lord Jesus in Matthew 4, 9. Matthew 4, 9, say that to all these things will I give thee if thou fall down and worship me. All these things will I give thee, and to Jacob in verse 10, and get you possessions. Now, when you look at verse 10, it says, you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade there and get you possessions. Okay, what do you see good about Hamar? We always say bad things about him, but what do you see good about him in verse 10? Yeah, he wants to share the wealth. And he's also used this word dwell. Dwell. In other words, again, peaceful coexistence. Now, in verse 11 and 12, we see Shechem, he steps forward. Shechem himself. This is a dangerous move. This is the man. This is the offender. And he steps right out. He makes himself vulnerable by offering to do anything he could to marry Dinah. Said unto her, you know, verse 11 and 12, let me find grace in your eyes. What you shall say, I will I give. Ask me never so much dowering gift. I will give according as you shall say. So when Shechem said he would do anything to get their acceptance for him to marry Dinah, he put his head in the chopping block.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.